0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dawkin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is July 31st, recording Monday afternoon. As we look at it, we're looking at net new 52-week highs and lows on the NYS New York Stock Exchange uh, from a market momentum standpoint, we're looking at extreme greed, you know, as opposed to extreme fear or neutral. Uh, the same can be said about stock price strength and in terms of stock, you know, price breadth when we were looking at the McClellan Volume Summation Index, um, as well as when we're looking at five-day average put-to-call ratios, uh, definitely a lot of froth, um, a lot of buying activity. And you know it's on some solid economic data, but you know the data is obviously mixed too. We got a lot of stuff coming in this week, including non-farm payrolls. Uh, Tim, let's let's kind of open it up with a discussion of what the indicators are this week.
1: Yeah, I mean non-farm payrolls is the big one. That's where you get the countdown clock on CNBC, and everybody will be losing their mind. I won't go into what I think of the quality of non-farm payrolls; that gets tedious. But uh, the fact is, is that the overall employment data is stronger uh than the Fed needs it to be. Cash Carry actually had a comment today that he sees it as far fetched, I think was the term he used, uh to think that we could end this this cycle, uh this tightening cycle by the Fed and not have some damage in labor markets. And you know, you've heard this from the BISA when they uh, not the BISA, the BIS, uh when they wrote there, the Bank of International Settlements, when they wrote there Half-year outlook. Uh, They basically said this is two-stage inflation. The first half was the easy part. It was goods. It was supply chains, etc. The second part is the hard part. And and I think that is a I think that is the common view. um, Certainly, the common view in the hedge fund world. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who did an informal, uh, a, a very prevalent independent research shop, though, and they did a, and it's mostly hedge funds that subscribe subscribe to their stuff. 80% of their subscribers, so 80% of hedge funds, still see a recession. Um, basically, there's long and variable lags. Uh, so, while there is, um, I don't know if it's greed and fear as much as it's um, greed and fear of missing out. I mean, the FOMO trade is powerful. And the FOMO exists not just for retail investors, but for every hedge fund and for every ma- mutual fund uh, manager who's who's lagging. Um, there's a lot of momentum in this market. Momentum begets more m- momentum in an index-driven world, in vol control funds. Um, among uh, all of the CTA players. Um, there is there is real fear of missing out and there's a catch-up trade uh, that is really powerful and it'll be powerful until it isn't.
0: Yeah, uh, the employment numbers, we'll see what happens next month, but I mean, I read today that Yellow Corporation um, just went under, yeah. so that's an immediately 30,000 workers uh, as it pertains to freight. Um, You know, as well as some other companies are in trouble with liquidation, too. So I don't know if when we come into next month, those abrupt changes, you know, you know, make look a little bit different. But
1: well, it's amazing. I mean, freight is deep in recession, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I've I've said this before, but Stan Druckenmiller talks about his favorite indicator was always freight. Mm -hmm. Well, if that was your favorite indicator in this cycle, you missed this whole move here because freight has been really, really weak. Those drivers will be in demand. But a lot of the corporate and the dispatch and so forth uh, for yellow won't be. But those drivers will find spots um, in a super tight labor market fairly quickly. Uh, But it is amazing how it is uh, two different worlds here where you have a you have PMIs that were really, really weak. Today, we got Dallas PMI. We got Chicago. They're both in the low 40s. But what you see with both of them is confidence in the future outlook and to me that feels like the tail wagging the dog it's the market strength that is saying to real people on the ground hell i guess the economy's getting better i don't see it my my business doesn't see it but maybe things are getting a little bit better uh and but i think that's the market wagging the the kind of main street tail uh the the market tail wagging the the main street dog
0: yeah i mean i I looked at the consumer sentiment numbers and from University of Michigan they they were up 11% in July from the prior month which is the highest since October of 2021 uh, but you know Santander came out with some pretty research and they found that 80% of households said they weren't affected by the most recent banking crisis but you know more on track they found that 68% res- res- respondents think they're on you know a path to achieve financial prosperity and 79% thought it would happen within the next 10 years uh, you know, most of their depositors are middle class. Uh, yeah. So that that seems what you know very optimistic obviously between yeah. Michigan numbers yeah. and, and Santander numbers. Yeah.
1: yeah, but the overall consumer confidence numbers on an absolute level, aren't that great. Mm-hmm. Now we are getting into this world where everybody is questioning the soft data because overall the soft data has been worse uh, than the real data in this cycle. So much of the leading economic indicators that have been telling us and telling professional forecasters that we're going into recession forever a lot of that is soft data the ism weakness in the isms uh haven't really foretold too much that's soft data um but it's interesting you look gasoline is going to have an impact here when it whenever you look whenever you ask about future uh conditions and so f- so forth and and where do you think inflation is going and inflation expectations it's very often largely driven by gasoline, and gasoline has had a meaningful move here. I don't know how sustainable it is, but oil's back above 80, and our Bob gasoline has moved up quite a bit. It's it's made the new newest highs I think since November of last year. So that it'll it'll be interesting to see how that weighs on confidence, and it'll certainly be interesting that with lags how that starts to affect the month over month inflation numbers, because don't forget we have had a huge tailwind. Medical cost trends has been one of them, that reverses in the fall, but the big one has been energy. And that will be that is kind of in real time now uh, beginning to reverse.
0: Yeah, and you think that'd be the big thing that could throw off growth, right? I mean, we had GDP came in uh, for the second quarter at 2.4%, um, which was faster than expected. But you know if you're looking at like the Atlanta GDP now and stuff um you know in terms of future forecasting I think I saw a number it was like little over 3 almost mid 3 which seems <laughs> yeah. crazy right uh but the yeah lobbies would definitely be the shock
1: <laughs> yeah the Atlanta Fed number always seems or at least historically has seemed to start high and 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 get its get worked down uh slowly the trend is still Coming off a very high, the consumption number in GDP was only about 1%, uh, but government spending has been stronger and you are probably gonna get a little bit of an inventory tailwind here. One of the things that we saw in the Dallas and Chicago PMIs was some optimism about the out months uh, and lower inventories. Inventories are really getting worked down. Uh, So that could be a contributor uh, to GDP in the third and fourth quarter. But inventories probably don't build aggressively unless end market demand starts to build as well. And one thing that you're also seeing is like in the auto industry, for instance, you're never going back to the old inventory. All the companies have said that that on their second quarter calls that we're never going back to the old days of having 100 days of of pickup truck inventories and so forth. So, Mm -hmm. you know, technology has improved just-in-time inventory Um, so that, that does change things. You don't get the kind of inventory swings, uh, that we used to get 20, 30, 40 years ago.
0: What do you think of, you know, the U S pending home sales surprising everyone advancing for the first time in months? Uh, you know, the June numbers came in, that's the first time in four months. And when you're looking at the national association of realtors index, you know, contracts have advanced 0.3%, uh, month over month, to 76.8.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, the housing market has been the star of the cycle, right? I mean, the lack of um, uh, credit sensitivity in this cycle is mostly in housing because everybody learned the lesson of of the great financial crisis and got themselves 30-year mortgages. Most homeowners who have a mortgage have a a mortgage below 4%. That is creating uh, the tightness in the market. Uh, There's a ton of uh, new inventory coming to market. Housing under construction right now is the highest that it's been in modern history. Uh, those those projects are going to get completed. They're going to come to market and there should be pretty good absorption. So the demand, and then it's not just supply, there is a demand dynamic. And our view is that the demand dynamic is some degree fueled by this generational wealth transfer. The baby boomers turning 70 Starting to bequeath wealth to the second and third generation, you know people are gonna buy a house. You start to you you have your first kid, you have your second kid. Like timing may not be great, rates may be higher than you wanted to, uh, but if you do, if there is some some wealth in your family, there's a good chance you're getting help on your uh, down payment, and that's I think having a meaningful impact on housing
0: demand. You know we talked about it a little bit before, but um, oil's you know really on a tear. We've got some numbers coming out. Uh, I mean, APA, natural gas producer, that was up 18.5% in July. Their stocks, uh, you know, they're releasing right. their quarterly earnings on Wednesday. I think some big, um, you know, exploration companies have quarterly earnings coming out on Friday. But, yeah, we've seen, you know, oil prices gain more than 16% since late June. Um, that's five straight straight weeks of gain. So uh, what's behind that rally and, and, you know, just kind of the – commodity shock we're in right now
1: you know i think more than anything it's tightness more than anything it is um tightness on the producer level that there is real discipline uh we've talked about this ad nauseum that you know we're in a, we're in a cycle here where uh cash return through buybacks and dividends are greater than capex spending that is going to continue in good markets and in bad markets investors want the cash back. The other thing is you do have high decline rates in the shale. Uh, and uh and and producers are going to be really really disciplined about not overproducing in the shale. Um, across the lower 48, you've got the bigger Hughes rig count going down and going down precipitously. You've got Russia cutting production. Um you know, one of the reasons that created the weakness in the oil market was overproduction from the kind of renegade players venezuela mexico uh Rush, not mexico venezuela iran and russia um iran, uh, mexico is an example of what can happen uh, when you underinvest in your infrastructure and in your future resources you fall hard on your production capabilities uh, Russia is probably kind of running out of the ability to produce more. Um, and then and then demand has stayed okay. I mean, in the United United States, it's this weird two different worlds. Like you you definitely see it the 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 freight weakness and the industrial recession that we're in when you look at diesel demand. Diesel demand is super weak. When you look at jet fuel demand and people going on vacation, it's super strong. Uh, so it really is two different economies mm-hmm. where you have this leisure demand that stays strong, and yet goods-producing industries uh, are, are are in a recession, in a meaningful freight recession.
0: Oh, the juxtaposition is definitely interesting. Yeah. I, I, I guess one thing that could really— uh altered oil prices is um you had you know it was a managing partner of clean energy transitions uh, investing group you know just this past week he was talking about how weak waning oil demand is causing a lack of cooperation amongst opec um that he thinks could eventually lead to its breakup now you got a group of 23 you know different countries yeah. they've got 40 percent of the world's crude oil uh, so something like that could send prices spiraling down if, if indeed, um, push comes to shove within within that within that group.
1: Yeah, I'm dubious of that. You sent me that article, and I was kind of surprised. Look, if you're an OPEC member, uh, unless you're the, the 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 Saudis or the UAE, you don't have any spare capacity. In all likelihood, you're not producing to your quota anyway. So why leap? What difference does it make? I mean, the, the, the tightness in the, the world labor, the, the world oil market is dominated and dictated by the Americans, the, the majors, and the Saudis, uh, and to some degree, the Russians. Um, the Saudis want and need higher oil prices. As long as all those other players in OPEC plus really can't even produce to their quotas, what difference does it make? Like, I, I don't see a situation where there would be a breakup of OPEC. And even if I did, I don't think it would be cataclysmic for oil prices. Um, it, it comes down to the guys who have the spare capacity. And that's the U.S. and that's the Saudis and the UAE.
0: Uh, anything else that we probably overlooked this week? Um, no, we were talking about the debt ceiling uh, yeah. re reemerging its head uh, for this 12-months. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely a topic that's that's on the agenda.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. what happened with the debt ceiling is basically they set uh, spending limits and now those spending bills are going to, by the end of September, have to be reconciled between the House and the Senate. And what the House is basically saying, what the House GOP is saying is, no, those spending limits were ceilings. We're mm-hmm. going to cut way below that. And the big fight is on the IRS. The GOP's House, seemingly their biggest legislative priority is to weaken the IRS.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, You know, where your funding comes matters. And uh, that is going to be a huge fight. It's not just the IRS, but spending levels that are coming out of a democratically controlled Senate and a uh, sort of a a, a a House majority where the, the right wing of the House has incredible strength. They've got McCarthy in a bind. So it seems like more and more people are guessing that we'll have at least a temporary government shutdown. Um, you know, th- th- just like with the debt ceiling, the market tends to look through these things. Um, but this could be a pretty contentious battle uh, that goes on for some time.
0: Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, McCarthy's obviously he's weak by design in terms of, yeah. you know, what the power they gave him, but also just the dynamics of who's in his caucus. Um I mean, obviously, you know, the Democrats, you know, have sh- majority, they've got Schumer, but Mitch McConnell had what appeared to be a major health scare the other day, uh, where yeah. he was, you know, being yeah. interviewed and then looked like a stroke. I don't know what they called it, but uh yeah, he was just non-responsive for 28 seconds or something.
1: But. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, McCarthy his his health issues aside, the Senate Republicans are well to the left of where the where the House Republicans are now. And um not that not to say that the House Republicans will go along with what the Democrat Senate puts forth, but it's really not going to be much of a battle in the Senate. The whole show is going to be in the House. And mm-hmm. frankly, I was surprised that the debt ceiling debate got finished as quickly as it did, and I think one of the reasons for that is, and we're going to see this, is this concept that the the what we agreed to is not a number that is agreed to, it's just a ceiling, and the House uh, budgets are going to come in with much, much lower spending numbers, um, and, and that is going to be a battle. So to some degree, it seems to me that McCarthy made deals with the right wing and his party in the House. Uh, saying, look, let's not worry about this now. We'll we'll be much more aggressive when we get into the spending legislation, and then we'll win on that front because we'll go to the American people and say, look, inflation is the killer to to everybody, and the inflation is being caused by the Democrats. We're trying to rein in spending. I think that is their argument here. We're now in political season. It's like we it's not it's not like we ever aren't but right. you know we're, we're we're starting to get into the primaries here um and the politics is 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 gonna is gonna ratchet up in the year of a presidential election as we approach the year of a presidential election mm-hmm.
0: and i mean the congressional races are going to be the most important it, it's going to be incredibly difficult for the democrats to maintain the senate just the fact that there's yeah 20 of their guys up in a lot of competitive states and there's only 10 republicans up in not very competitive states um so but, you know, the house is a narrow majority of, you know, just around five. So, yeah, that's that's going to be uh, the big one, of course. Yeah. Um, you know,
1: the other thing I, I think you got to look at and think about as an investor, as a fiduciary, is the market, the equity market is pricing in and expecting 12% EPS growth next year. Now, everybody's excited about second quarter earnings, 80% of beats. I, you know, I I say this probably every podcast, 75% beat Every quarter, good economies, bad economies, it doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of a rigged game. Um, but if expectations were for down 7%, we've only achieved down 1%, right? Nominal GDP is still slowing. It, it, um, worker compensation is still growing 3, 4, 5% with productivity negative. That and the slower nominal growth is not a positive going forward Mm -hmm. for EPS growth. So it's hard for me to believe that both things can be true. Both things being 2024 is going to see 12% EPS growth and the Fed is going to cut five times. Neither one of those two things can't happen. So either we're going to have a weaker economy where we have, um, where we are, where the Fed is really cutting. But if we have that, it's because corporate profits have been under real pressure right that's what the fed needs to do they need to pressure corporate profits to induce layoffs to then get inflation down to where they need it five six percent wage inflation right now is not consistent with the fed getting to their two percent target so that's the thing i, I would want to close with today to have people think about which one of those two things is going to be wrong is it going to be 12 percent uh, eps growth or is it going to be five cuts? Because if we have 12% EPS growth, that means that the economy is still really strong and the Fed is going to have to stay higher for longer.
0: All right, great. Uh, thanks for your time today, Tim. Uh, and for all our listeners and subscribers, thanks as well. We're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the host. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.